0: open a word of prayer and we'll get started father we thank you <coughs> for life and we just thank you that we can gather here tonight and lord we pray that you would just minister to us through the power of your word through the power of your spirit thank you that we have the truth and that we don't have to doubt that in any way lord and lord we just pray that we would become better students of the truth and that we would uh that you would just apply it to our hearts In um Whenever we open your word and and seek to know more about you. So Lord, pray, bless our time tonight. Pray for those who may not be here. Just pray you bless those um, that are on their way. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you ever had Jehovah Witnesses come to your door? Okay, lots. So tonight, hopefully, we'll give you some information that you can share with them next time you see them. That's kind of the goal. We want to start off with what comes to mind when you think of Jehovah Witnesses? Watchtower? Watchtower. Two people and a child at the door. Two people and a child at the door? Yeah. Two men and a woman? And a woman. Right. Yeah. Huh? Not these, guys. Not these guys. All right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Most of us probably think of well-dressed folks walking through our neighborhoods with family, knocking on doors of complete strangers, probably most likely on a Saturday morning where a lot of people aren't up yet. (laughs) Uh, You might think of the Watchtower magazine that you see in the laundromats or you see them down on El Camino a lot. By the market, handing them out. Pretty committed folks. Uh, I've even seen them in post offices. Um, Or maybe on the darker side, you hear about parents who won't allow their children to have a blood transfusion. And um, they die. Yeah, they don't celebrate birthdays. Well, where does this movement come from? That's what we want to talk about first. Where does it come from? Um, it was founded by uh, Charles Taz Russell. Charles Taz Russell. I'm going to have my wife put my notes in order. Can you put this in order? So it's one, two, one, two, one, two, three, four. Um he lived in 1852 to 1916. He was uh, from Pennsylvania, and um, he founded this this organization in 1879. Uh, and so, it's it's kind of an important thing to understand the background. To this individual um, He was actually born in Allegheny, Pennsylvania, to very religious parents. Um, he was a Presbyterian, very conservative, but he uh, rebelled in his teens and he rejected the doctrine of predestination, and he rejected the doctrine of hell. Didn't believe in either one. And after some time of just kind of wandering around in unbelief, he wound up under the influence of back then they were called Adventists. And um, quick background on Adventism. It was uh, William Mil- Miller was the founder of it, and he was a 19th-century Baptist preacher. And through a lot of very uh, they say lengthy and calcu- lengthy and, and uh, elaborate calculations, he reached the conclusion that Jesus Christ would return in eighteen forty three and he took this very seriously. and he was a very uh, they said he was a very persuasive man, big personality, and he had a lot of persuasion over people. He developed an enormous following because of these predictions all over uh, the United States back in this time. And you can imagine how many uh, hearts were broken in 1843 when Jesus Christ did not return. But Miller did not give up. He went back and he very tediously went through all of his calculations and decided, no, he had a number wrong. Sound familiar? Had a number wrong. And that Jesus was to return in October of 1844. And all the people rallied around him once again. To the degree that people sold their houses. They sold all their belongings. And they went out and they waited for the return of Christ on that day. Now, if you know anything about history, you know that he did not return on that day. So there's a lot of people disappointed. Um, Miller, to his credit, realized that this was wrong and he threw in a towel he gave up and he actually repented of making all these calculations and he walked away from the whole thing just turned and walked away and he said my date setting days are done unfortunately many of his people uh, the people who invested so much emotionally and even materially in his ministry uh, hung in there they wouldn't let it go and many of us are familiar with people like Ellen G. White, James White. They're the founders of the Seventh Day Adventist movement, and there are other Seventh Day Adventists, and who, you know, still to this day, uh, some of them uh, are still into this date-setting business. Um, well, back then, most of them were, were Arians. Arianism denies the deity of Jesus Christ. And so most early Adventists denied the existence of the soul or the spirit. Um, they believed that instead, when a man dies, that that's it. It's over. There's no, 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 nothing. Um, and so young Russell picked up on those teachings And as a young adult, he started a Bible study group in somebody's home. And the Bible study group elected him the pastor. So he was known after that as Pastor Russell, which gave him some credibility. And he traveled around the world with his message, and he published a magazine called Zion's Watchtower. That was the first publication. It was called Zion's Watchtower, the Herald of Christ's presence. That was the subtitle. Well, what does that mean? Well, Russell concluded from the scriptures that Jesus had been a round member invisibly since 1874. Yeah, just invisibly. He also predicted that God's kingdom and paradise on earth would come around 1914. Now, remember what we saw in Jude chapter 3 and 4, just to remind you. It says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Those two factors personified, personified Russell in every way, and he actually uh, held on to this Armageddon belief in the year 1914, um, because when the Bible wasn't enough for him to make the case that Armageddon was going to come in 1914, he actually said, "Well, I have other indications." And these are the, the measurements of the passageways in the pyramids or the pyramid of Giza, um, which is it's just kind of a weird thing. He couldn't find it in the Bible. So he goes to these pyramids and he starts measuring these passageways. He says, well, this is part of my calculations. And so 1914 came and went. 1915 came and went. 1918 came and went. And he would, every time he would change the thing, he said, well, I measured the passageway wrong. Because he got done with the scriptures, so he was all into these pyramids. Well, he eventually died. And the next guy who took it over was Judge Joseph Rutherford. Judge Joseph Rutherford. Now, Rutherford had written a, a best-selling book. And he, it made him very popular back in the day. The name of the book was Millions Now Living Will Never Die. That was the name of the book. And it went nuts. And so everywhere he went, people wanted to hear him talk because he had this book out. And he traveled all over the U.S. with this message. He predicted that in 1925, the ancient men like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will actually come back physically and personally. This is what he taught. He really believed this stuff. And so great was his conviction that he built a house for them. Because when they come back, they had a place to live, right? So he built a house for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He built it in San Diego. It's called Beth Sarim. And when when they didn't show up, guess who lived there? He did. Until his death in the 1940s. Very nice house, by the way. You can go online and look at a picture of it. He also dealt with some rebellions among the witnesses. In other words, some people didn't agree with some of his teachings. And some of these people who didn't agree with him were called, early on, they were called the Bible students. Remember we said, the enemy very smart. They use the same terms, but they, they change the definitions. They were called the Bible students. And in 1931, they changed the name of the movement to the Jehovah Witnesses. So it actually came out of this movement called the Bible Students. So it was kind of a uh, interesting. today they're they're headquartered in Brooklyn, New York. You have the Watchtower Society. And uh, they have over uh, 20 million followers, over two hundred countries and territories. About 8 million of these followers go door-to-door on a regular basis. In other words, weekly. They're out there knocking on doors weekly. 8 million. There was a study back in 2009 that showed that the people that go door-to-door, these witnesses, spend about 1.5 billion hours doing this all over the world. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just an incredible investment of time. Now, they, they publish two magazines. They publish The Watchtower, which is this one here. And by the way, they have a really slick website. You can go on there and get all their... I mean, they're very proficient at getting their word out. And they also have uh, what they call the Awake magazine. Um, they also have the New World Translation But just a little bit about the Watchtower magazine. It's in over 180 languages. Now you might say, well, that's that's a lot. The interesting thing is, whenever they publish anything, they publish in it simultaneously. I mean, this all comes out the same day in all those languages. It's an amazing feat that they do. And the Awake has... Is translated into over a hundred languages. Their other, other magazine. Um, these are the most widely circulated periodicals on the planet. That's how just incredible the reaches. No other edited government religious publication produces as many magazines in as many languages on a consistent basis as the Watchtower Organization. And the weird thing is this is all done in the name of a lie. <laughs> They don't even have the truth. Um, The witnesses are now working in over 500 languages and find materials on the internet in over 300. Well, where do they get their doctrinal authority to publish all this stuff and teach all these things? Where do they get it? Well, if you ask them, guess what they'll say? Well, we get it from? The The Bible, right. Their Bible, exactly. They have what they call the New World... Translation, the New World Translation. It was first released in 1950. This is a dishonest Bible. It's very dishonest. Um, They went to all this work to come up with their own translation. Guess why? Because the King James Version and all the other versions published, by the way, could not support what they were teaching. So they had to come up with their own translation. So they did, the New World Translation. Um, most of you know, just an example of their editing of the original text of Scripture and replacing it with what they want, is the, the telltale sign is in 1 John 1.1, where our Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word uh. Uh, was with God, and the Word was God. They changed it to, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Small g. So they have this thing, and they do it over 300 places in the Scriptures. They twisted them. That's the, the key one that people focus on, but there's other ones. Uh, along with a consistent attempt to distort and twist the Scriptures and diminish, the whole purpose is diminishing the deity of Jesus Christ. That's what they want to do. They don't want Jesus Christ to be God. Because after all, Jesus is created. He has no soul. There is no hell. It's a very dangerous book. It's probably the world's most dangerous book. Because it contains the name Bible and it looks well it's a Bible even says the Holy Scriptures but it's anything but holy but the witnesses unlike the Mormons and and others they claim to have a very high view of Scripture that's what they claim in the formal sense Uh, it's kind of a just an interesting thing of what what they what they believe about different things A couple things first about the 144,000, because people always wonder, what is this 144,000? Well, they have this favored class, they call it, of individuals, 144,000. They take that scripture out of Matthew 24, 45, where it says, the faithful and discreet slave class. That's what it says in scripture. And they take that and they twist it and they misuse it. And they say, well, that refers to 144,000. These are the only people who have the right and the ability to interpret their scriptures. Only these 144,000. Nobody else. It's kind of weird, but that's what they believe. Um, And that would most likely exclude you and me. They claim that there are about 10,000 or less of these people left on earth. Uh, From among the ranks of, of this faithful and discreet slave class, as they call it, at the headquarters of the Watchtower... In uh, Bible Tract Society in Brooklyn, New York, you have a group of nine men known as the Governing Body. And these are the ones who run and rule the daily lives of those who are called the Jehovah Witnesses. Now, because they publish their publications in over 180 languages simultaneously, it happens all at once. it, It gives these leaders tremendous control over the people and what they believe. And so that's a very, very important thing. Um, The other thing that a lot of people don't know about this is that when you're part of the Watchtower Society, you have to understand that everybody has to agree with everything identically at all times. There is no dissenting, none, or you're not part of it, period. They'll assure you right out the door. No matter what they change... Or no matter how often they change, you're just expected to go along with it. And I think it's set up that way because he dealt with those rebellions early on. He said, hey, We're not gonna have that anymore. Um so with that as a background, I hope that gives you a little bit of perspective of these people that are knocking on your door. These are people who are under an incredible spiritual burden yeah. from the enemy. Okay? In you know, there's no joy in their life. There's, there's, there's nothing. They don't understand the personal relationship with Christ as we do. That's not what their religion teaches them. Now, they have very distinctive beliefs. And we're going to go, go through some of these. Um, so, some people call Jehovah's Witnesses the apostles of Denial. That's what they call them. Because as we went through the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, faith last week, almost to a one, they disagree. And they take the opposite and polar uh, belief. And so they're called the apostles of deli- denial because they deny with almost everything that we, we agree with the historic Christian faith. They either try to turn it on its head or twist it to, to make, make something it, it doesn't say. Um, first of all, they don't believe in the Trinity. They believe the Trinity is a is a pagan um, doctrine. And the author of the Trinity is Satan himself. Uh, they would refer to Jesus as a lesser created God. Because as Michael the Archangel, the first and greatest creation of Jehovah God, later he was only a perfect man here on earth, but... What they say is he was a ransom sacrifice to buy back what Adam lost. That's what they believe. They believe Jesus was. Yes. No. They believe Jesus was, and they believe that that because he did that, he bought back what Adam lost. It gives him a right to this perfect life. Um, and by the way, they only believe that the anointed class go to heaven. Only the anointed class in Jehovah Witnesses. <clears throat> Everyone else has to chance living out here on Earth in paradise. That's what they believe. They believe paradise is coming to Earth, and only a certain segment of them actually go to heaven. Um, they also don't believe that Jesus died on a cross. Uh, they believe that he died on a stick. Okay, so when you when you look at who God is here, they believe that only one person is God. They call Him Jehovah. Um, the first thing Jehovah created was Jesus. Well, who was Jesus before He lived on earth? He was Michael, the arch- archangel. Jehovah made the universe through Him. Um, on earth, He was a man who lived a perfect life. And after dying, not on a cross, but on a stake... They say he died on a, on a, a torture stick, they call it. Um, he was resurrected as a spirit. His body was destroyed. So they don't believe that Jesus Christ was physically resurrected. He only rose in spirit. Yes. Well, that's part of the, the, the issue here, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you know you can't you can't question crazy, right? I mean, that's just the way it goes. So they don't believe in a resurrection, therefore they don't celebrate Easter. So you might say, "Well, what happened to Jesus?" Um, they don't know. They have no idea. Uh, as a matter of fact, they speculate that either Jehovah was preserved in his body as some memorial where it eventually dissolved in ashes. Um, they, they they don't really know and they don't care, they really don't. It's not their their prerogative to say that. Um, the Holy Spirit is Jehovah's invisible active force. Okay, um, so they don't believe that Jesus Jesus is not coming again. He already returned visi- invisibly. Remember, in nineteen fourteen. So that's what they that's what they believe, and very soon Jesus and his angels will destroy. All non-Jehovah Witnesses. Pretty radical. Well, they also have a faulty view of the Holy Spirit. They believe the Holy Spirit is Jehovah's invisible active force. That's what they would call it. They wouldn't call it a person. They call it a force. Notice there on that magazine, it says, What is the Holy Spirit? Not who is the Holy Spirit. That was published back in, in 2009 some Jehovah Witness writers compare the Holy Spirit to electricity or magnetism. It's just a force to be dealt with. Um, It's very, you know, uh, wrong what they're teaching here, but that's what they believe. Um, They believe that all other, quote, Christians are apostate. There's nobody right but them. Um, And within the Watchtower Society, you have no hope if you step outside that for anything. Zero. And even within the Watchtower Society, you have the anointed class, as they're called, and then you have what they call the other sheep. <laughs> um, so you can't become part of the anointed cl- class because, remember, there's only a, a few of those. Um, they're all the old people who saw the events in 1914 who are probably going to die pretty soon anyway. But... You stop and think about this, um, we can become part of the great crowd or the other sheep as you come into the fold, if you want to live in paradise on earth, working hard while you wait for Armageddon to happen. Um, They anticipated Armageddon happening in 1914-15, 1918-1925, 1941, finally in 1975. Then they finally wised up and said, you know, maybe we should stop setting all these dates because it's making us look pretty silly. Um, so, they don't believe in a personal Holy Spirit. It's just an invisible act of force. Well, this is kind of interesting. <clears throat> what is required to be saved if you're a Jehovah Witness? I got to put some things there in your outline. And remember, this is the generation will not pass away. Um, salvation is... Heaven is limited to only these anointed ones, 144,000. And that number's already been reached. So, you know, everyone else is just uh, down here on earth. Um, followers must be baptized as Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, most followers must earn everlasting life by door to door work. Okay, they believe that taking in knowledge is one of the ways to salvation. A very cerebral kind of approach. Um, it's not relational. Like, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's not what they have. They purely have an institution that teaches them stuff, and they, they take it in. It's, it's kind, of, kind of sad. There's no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's just study. That's why they're so studied in what, what their doctrines are, because that's a way to be saved. Um, they believe that you have to obey God's laws and conform one's life to the moral requirements as laid out in the Bible, as interpreted by the Watchtower Society. So you can see their their arm of control is very deep into these people's um, lives. Uh, they believe that in order to be saved, you have to belong to and serve in the Jehovah Witnesses, God's one true organization. Uh, it's a very troubling group of folks. And they believe, fourthly, that um, being loyal to Jehovah's organization is crucial. They do not tolerate any independent thinking. None. You're not allowed to question anything. And if you have ever noticed when people come to your door and they're teaching these folks how to do this, okay, if it gets kind of... Tense with the with the trainee the other guy steps right in and boy cuts it short, and they're out of there okay because you don't question what they believe they believe that salvation is by faith plus good works they believe it's by faith plus good works well that's the problem their God their organization it's not the God of the Bible that's for sure Um. See, as believers in Christ, we have what? We have assurance of eternal life. We're assured that. Um, 1 John chapter 5, verse 12-13 through 13 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And in verse 13, he wrote, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, remember when we went through 1 John, that you may know that you have eternal life. They have no assurance of their salvation whatsoever. Um... They have to work toward perfection. That's why they're out there all the time doing whatever they tell them to do. But there's no assurance whatsoever. They work toward this perfection throughout this life. Then, through, they're not done. Then they've got to do it through Christ's spiritual reign here on earth, they would say. And then they have to pass another test when Satan's let loose on the earth, earth again. They have to get through that test. And if they fail at any point, they are in serious jeopardy of annihilation, of eternal destruction. Uh, There's no grace here at all. So, you know, this is the burden that these people are carrying when they come to your door. And, you know, it kind of breaks your heart in in, in a way. Because they are so blinded by Satan's lies and by this organization that they serve so faithfully. They're just, they're just blinded. Um, if you spend time to get to know them at all, you'll realize that they have no love, they have no joy, they have no freedom of a true relationship that we have with Christ. That's just not there. But there they go, carrying out their, their preaching orders, making every record tediously of their visit to every home. They keep track of every address, every house, who they talk to. This is all taught to them. It's all very meticulously done. Um, there's other burdens as well, not just the door-to-door work that they have to do, not just all the training that they have to go through. They spend hours every week in training sessions. I mean it puts the Christian church to shame. Do they have to pay for it, you know? No, it's it's all part of their, their training, you know. Um, when they when they come to your door These people are not, you know, somebody just fell off the pumpkin truck. You know, they they are trained. They're very well trained. Yeah, that is a new one, isn't it? (laughs) Well, it's Halloween, you know, pumpkins. um, Hours and hours every week they spend together. And you know what they do in their meetings? They go over doctrines that they believe. They look at their Bible and they go to verses. If somebody asks you this, here's where you go. And you know what else I found interesting? They actually do role playing. They take their people and they say, "Okay, you know what? Here's the door. You're going to go up and knock." And they have some of you know what? The guy's playing the Christian or the guy's playing the Catholic or the guy's playing whatever. And they weave their way through all these oppositions to what they believe. So when they actually go out there on the street and do it for real, they're ready. And if you've ever talked to them, trust me, they're ready. They really are. They're very. It can be very intimidating. Oh yeah. I'm just saying the experience can be very intimidating for someone who is not versed in the Word because they're very forceful with what they believe. And they tend to dominate, you know, the conversation and everything. And unless you're pretty good at knowing how to deal with people like that, you know, pretty much it it, it doesn't end well. Um, Well, they also have prohibitions. I think they're in your outline. They, They refuse blood transfusions. This was started back in 1945. <clears throat> they also have other weird things that they do health-wise. Um, for decades, they warged, waged a war against aluminum utensils. This is what they did. Uh, they said it's a curse on humanity in the name of God. Um, you know, this isn't an opinion, they're saying. This is, this is from God himself. This is wh- how they, they teach their people. Um, from 1931 to 1951, they, uh, they forbade vaccinations. There's some people who still do that today for other reasons, but they did it for religious reasons. 1967 to 1980, they wouldn't let anybody have organ transplants. They said that was cannibalism, and it's not to be accepted. They don't celebrate holidays. They don't celebrate any birthdays. They have no fun whatsoever Uh, as far as fun that we would think of. um, They're not allowed to serve in the military. There's no voting allowed because you don't pledge allegiance to anybody. You don't stand for the flag. You don't pledge allegiance. You don't do anything. I mean, you know, maybe the NFL should go join the JWs, you know, if they're going to kneel for the national anthem. I don't know. But they they would agree with them. Um, All acts of religious activity are idolatry in their mind. The only recognized theocratic kingdom is that of Jehovah God as administered. Very important. They always say as administered or as, as interpreted by the Watchtower Society. They, they keep a very strong hold on their people. Um, as a Jehovah Witness, you're not allowed to. You're forbidden to attend any religious service. Um, whether it's a funeral, a wedding, if it's not a Jehovah Witness service, you're not allowed to go. Period. Um, Sociologists call this boundary maintenance. In other words, you're keeping these people penned in by what you're teaching them, and it, they help people to remind these people all the time, you know who's part of our group and who's not, and never you don't, never cloud the line there. Um, they keep everybody on their toes, and yet when you stop and you think. Some people think it's a very appealing organization. It must be. They're very they're growing every year. Okay. Um, by the thousands. Um, they're very highly committed people. They're very well organized. They're unified in their beliefs. They're, on the outside, seemingly logical and scholarly. Um, the watchtower rejects hell. is probably one of their biggest selling points. Because people don't want to... Um, people don't want to, uh, to believe, in believe in that, right? I mean, hell is not a popular subject. Oh, your religion doesn't believe in hell? Well, I'll come join you. All right? So it's kind of an important thing. Now, briefly here, the, the biblical insights, they, <clears throat> they do believe that there's one God. They believe there's one God. They don't believe in a trinity They believe in one God. We agree with them, okay? Isaiah 43.10 says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. All right, And so that's a very important thing of what they believe. Uh, They also believe that... um, the, the, this Holy Spirit is just this non-personal, you know, entity, but the scriptures teach us otherwise, okay? These are the, the biblical things that we believe. The Holy Spirit is God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is uh, freedom. Also in Acts chapter 5, remember with with uh, Ananias and Sapphira, when they said, you know, why has Satan filled your heart, and why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And then down there at the end of those verses, it says, you have not lied to man, but to who? God. God. Okay, so it infers that the Holy Spirit is God. Mm -hmm. Last time I checked, you can't lie to electricity, or magnetism, or a force. Well, what do they believe about Jesus Christ? Um, or what do we believe about Jesus Christ? We believe that Jesus Christ is eternal; that Jesus Christ is is not created. Um, he was never created; he's eternal. Isaiah nine six says, "For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Um, in in uh, the Gospels. In John chapter 4, Jesus tells this crowd of angry, skeptical uh, Jewish leaders there. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And the next verse says that they picked up stones because they were going to stone him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why were they going to stone him? Yeah, he was claiming to be God, right? And in their mind... He was quoting Exodus three fourteen. He was appealing to himself, acquiring for himself the divine name of Jehovah God before these monotheistic Jews, and they they just they couldn't have that. Um, And so we believe that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. Colossians chapter two tells us that, for in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Or in John chapter five, verse eighteen. This is why they were seeking to kill him even more, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God, John says. See, Jesus Christ is to receive the name and the honor and everything that goes along just as much as the Father, just as much as the Holy Spirit. That's what we believe. There's not a hierarchy there. Um, in verse 23 of John 5, it says that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. See, they would say, no, 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 that, that, that doesn't work that way. Um, I mean, we can't say that about ourselves, but Jesus can. He was God. And so when God brings His, His uh, firstborn, Jesus Christ, into the world in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6... The writer says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the God's angels worship him. All right, the Jehovah Witnesses as an organization lead many, many souls to hell. They lead many, many souls to destruction. But you know what? On the other side of that, they're also, you might think of it this way, a catalyst. A catalyst to drive many born-again believers into the Bible. So that they have an answer for these people when they do come to their door, so it, it kind of has a, a double edged thing there um, and so that 's when you study the word and you really understand what it what it means that 's when Christ can really transform your life. Well, the Bible also says that Jesus rose physically, which they don 't believe John two nineteen Jesus answered. Them, and he said, destroy this temp- temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And they said, wait a minute. It took 46 years to build this temple. You're going to tell me you're going to raise it up in three days? I don't think so. But what was Jesus referring to? His body, right? He was referring to his body. Um, it's very... You know, when we speak of the resurrection, sometimes we don't realize this. But it, it's not... Only the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. That's an important part of the resurrection. But what's even more important is that Jesus rose himself through his own power. Okay? And that's that's what he said he would do. I will raise it up. And so, scriptures kind of affirm that. But also, we believe, as Christians, that salvation is a free gift. They don't believe that. They believe you have to work for it. But that... Flies in the face of Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death but the gift free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, I don't know I don't have one of their Bibles. More than likely it probably says more than likely it probably says the same thing. <coughs> um, even though they've changed a major part of that a lot of it is still true to. The King James text, but they've changed verses that that um, support their cause for things that matter in their mind. Okay, you, you would think that this would be one of them, but they may have changed that. I don't know. I don't know if you look at. It. I don't know. I don't. I don't think they you know have. But it, it's important that we we understand that. That's why we believe that salvation is by faith alone, apart from any works. See, that sets our faith apart. It sets our faith apart from the Mormons. It sets our faith apart from the Jehovah's Witnesses. It sets our faith apart even from the Roman Catholics. Okay? Um, remember, the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, he says, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Well, you've got to go to church. You've got to pay penance. You've got to repent. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. That's not what Paul and Silas said. It says, they said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Alright? We're saved by faith alone, apart from works. That's what Titus chapter 3 tells us. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Or Philippians 3.9 That we might be found in Him not having a righteousness of our own or my own, Paul says, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, when the Jehovah Witnesses come to your door, this is what they need to hear. They need to hear that there is hope. That there's hope, not in the watchtower, not in that, but there's hope in that personal relationship with Christ. And, you know, I know it's a nuisance. And I'm not saying you invite them in and have coffee. But you can have a good conversation with them on your porch. And you can have dialogue with them. Uh, there's a couple things that you need to understand when you're dealing with Jehovah Witness. Um, there's four things here of each. There's, there's no real um, verse here that I can give you. That's the, 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 uh, end all for all of their, what they believe it's, it's just not there. Okay. So it, every conversation is different. Just like if you are witnessing to somebody else, who's a Mormon or a Catholic, or just a total non-believer. Okay. The conversation could go any way. So, you know, there's, there's not something that we can just give you that, boy, as soon as you bring that verse up, they just melt and, oh, they want to know Jesus. No, they're blinded by Satan, just like anybody else is, except they're in this religious organization that's even weighing them down more. So the first thing I want you to remember, the dues, is remember that they're real people. These aren't robots. These are real people with souls, with families. Um, And we need to be reminded of that. I know they're a nuisance at times, and I know that we disagree with them theologically. But you know what? We need to make sure that we have compassion in our heart toward these kind of people. Um, They also want to to be treated with respect. Okay, that's very big to them, just like it's big to us. They have insecurities. They're not going to tell you that. They have doubts. They're not going to tell you that. But as you share truth with them, maybe God would bring that up at a later point when they're off, whatever. Um, And, you know help them revisit those doubts. And maybe they could have a, a desire to come to know Christ as God puts that in their heart. <coughs> um, there are some Jehovah Witnesses, not many, that like to think for themselves. They're individuals. Okay, you can't... Even though they, they carry a very heavy burden on all these people and tell them what to believe and how to live and everything, and they're caught up in that. Okay, they actually believe they're part of a good religious society you'll run into people sometimes i had this happen one time <coughs> in san diego they came to the door and i did invite them in and we sat down and they kept on i asked them about john 1 1 and they said well the the greek says this the greek says that well let me here and i pulled down a greek new testament and i said can you show me and they both looked at me with like what do you mean? So I opened the book. It's like, well, this is a Greek New Testament. Can you show me, you know, exactly what you're saying? And they couldn't. They couldn't even find the book of John. Okay, so I kind of was nice and kind of, well, here, let me help you out. Here's what, Now, show me where the... And they couldn't. They had no answer. And as soon as the little disciple kind of said, yeah, well, why why can't we, you know, uh, well, we got to go. And they were out of there, you know. Um but they want to be treated with respect. So be courteous. Be respectful to them. Um, know your Bible. okay. Know what you believe. If you know what you believe, don't, don't be intimidated by their, their training and knowledge and antics and all that. Don't worry about that. God will give you what you need to say to get you through the conversation. So understand what you believe. Know why you believe it. Um, and then also a good way to deal with them is ask questions. Get them to try to think for themselves. Okay, ask them probing questions about what they're saying, what they're telling you. Now, if you've ever tried to, if you've ever tried to give a track to a Jehovah Witness, usually they won't take it. It's very rare they'll take anything. Okay, you can beg them to say, no, 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 it's fine here. You know, we want to leave some literature with you, and they they just won't take it. Okay, they're forbidden to take it. Yeah, I don't know, but like I said, everybody's an individual, so maybe they would. But they're forbidden to take. Now Mormons will take it; they will take it. But Jehovah's Witnesses usually don't. Um, so how do you deal with it? If you can't give them a track, what do you do? You know what? Well, you got them on your doorstep. Best way to do it is to share that testimony that we've been telling you that you need to work on. That you should be able to share in three to five minutes with some scripture in there. Oh, so you, you, you're here to tell me about uh, Jehovah? Yeah, well, let me tell you what. You know, and just give your testimony. Because you know what? They're going to be courteous and they're going to stand there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As long as you know, hours, but I mean, they're going to listen to you. And they're going to try to say what they want to say too. So, I mean, you have to be kind of courteous and respectful. But you can get truth into their heads, through their ears, if you just be patient, okay, and just compassionate with them. So you can give them your testimony um, because you know what? They, they have no idea when you talk about a personal relationship with Jesus. They have the slightest idea what you're talking about, because that's not what they have. They're they're they're, they're lacking in that sorely. Um, so the don'ts don't assume that Jehovah Witnesses know the Bible. Most of them don't. They know their doctrines. OK, and they know how to twist scriptures to support their doctrines they don't necessarily know the scriptures as we would know the scriptures yeah, the yeah what do they say for the wages sin pays is death right. but the gift God gives is everlasting life everlasting life mm-hmm. by Christ Jesus okay so and that's the thing is know your bible right it, it, Oh, yeah, your so Bible, the, what like? not, yeah, to, what, yeah. and the problem is, yeah, they're not going to listen to your Bible, you know. So that's no, I know, right? You can support that with their Bible. That's what I'm saying. But so it's it's a you know it's important to know when they bring things up uh, from where they're where they're getting their their support from because usually, like I said, most of the verses generally say the same thing. Mm-hmm. There are some you know like John one one that, that are radically different. Thanks, Steve. That's good. Um, So they know their doctrinal system and they know a few verses to support their doctrines, but they don't know the Bible. I mean, when you stop and think about how could they? The Bible says the natural man understands not the things of God. They don't have the Spirit. They don't have the enablement we do as Christians to understand God's Word. So they're totally blind when it comes to that. So they're just kind of spoon-fed what to say, you know, when someone asks... Something. Um, Don't assume that there is only one right way to witness to these folks, okay? Um, Or to anybody, for that matter. You know, I mean, you know, some people, you know, Ray Comfort, he has his way, and, you know, that's fine, okay? But, you know, you have to operate from your strengths. Who are you as an individual? What do you feel comfortable, how do you feel comfortable talking to somebody? You know, it may be on a street corner in front of 100 people yelling at you. Some people are energized by that. Some people go out there and street preach and they get the truth out. Okay? Um, other people don't operate that way. They'd rather sit down over a cup of coffee with someone and explain the gospel to them that way. So lead from your strengths. Be genuine to who you are. Don't, don't try to be, you know, Lee Strobel or Ray Comfort or Josh McDowell or something If you're not that way, you know, because it's, it, it, it will catch up to you. All right. And then you're kind of found out. It's like, wow, you, you're not really. Yeah. So and then also don't try to force them to admit they're wrong. It just doesn't work. Yeah. See, I, I think with the Jehovah Witnesses, the way to approach them is you're just trying to give them truth. Just give them truth. Just little bits of Truth. Okay, because God can use that. God says, you know, His Word doesn't return word. So we, you're quoting verses to them. You're giving your testimony. You're you're, you're even, even re-quoting verses from their Bible to them. All right? Because, you know what, when they will probably... I've never had a Jehovah Witness, and I haven't witnessed to a lot of them, but the ones I have, I've never had them say, you know, you make a lot of sense. I think we're wrong. No. It's just not going to happen. Okay, there's a reason why they go out in pairs or threes. All right? Their training, that's, that's part of their training. So they have a more mature person who, you know, depending on where this, this new disciple is, you know, he may be the one to knock on the door and do the introductory thing, and then the other guy takes over. You know, or he may let this guy go, and then he gets back into a corner, so then he steps in, and that's how they operate. I mean, that's how we should be doing it too, you know, as believers with the truth. But I'm just saying, you don't want to back him into a corner and, and kind of shame them so that they lose face. That's not the way to witness anybody, really. Um, that's not what we should be doing. Um, you, be you want to try to keep it a positive flow of information to them. A positive flow of truth to them. All right? So, I mean, we know they're wrong. Okay? Okay. And we also know that they're not going to drop down on your front porch and say, oh, we're wrong. I repent. That's not going to probably not going to happen outside of God's direct. Yeah. Well, this is where, okay, every individual is different. Okay, so I think when Jesus gave out hard truth to people, um, a lot of times he understood where they were coming from. He understood that they were um, not open to the truth. That he was sharing with them. So, what did he do? He preached the law to them and he let them have it. Okay. Well, you don't know that necessarily. Well, they're all, but they're all individuals. So, what I'm saying is, as you're sharing Christ with them, I mean, you may run across one that's very dogmatic and really, and attacks you or whatever. I've never heard of that because they're trained not to do that. I mean, they're kind of doing the same thing we're doing. But we have the truth. They're trying to get out their truth, their version of the truth. You know, most—I don't. Has anyone dealt with Jehovah Witnesses that have just been downright rude to them? But I'm just saying what I'm saying is when they come to your door, okay, you don't want to uh, shame them. Now, there's nothing wrong with, you know, like you said, ask, like I said, ask them questions, probing questions about what they believe. You know, like, oh boy, so you believe, you know. Jesus wasn't God. Well, what do you do? What do you do with this verse? You know, and bring up a verse Colossians or whatever, and then see what they say. You know, they're not going to say, oh, you're right. You know, no, but I mean, you want to get them the truth and you can even for the most part, and you probably have to check this out first, like Dave just did, but take their Bible and show them that truth, you know? So it's, you know, it's important that we, we understand these are people and they're lost people, you know, and we need to be gracious with them. We need to be compassionate with them. We need to show them Christ. And we need to show them the relationship that we have with Christ. Um, you know, don't just turn them away blindly. Um, know that God, you know, can use you to, to reach out to these folks. I mean, they're, they're really, really lost. All right? And, and I think that that's an important point to make.